All right, good morning, friends. I hope you guys are doing well. Let's uh, flip over to Galatians chapter 3. We're going to keep going on our journey here through uh, Paul's letter to the churches in Galatia. Last week, <clears throat> we looked at the end of chapter 2, if you recall there. Uh, we kind of looked at this, this last part of chapter 2 twice uh, in the last couple weeks. The first time, we just kind of looked at Peter, uh, Barnabas, and Antioch, and um, how Peter could you know, be an apostle, right? one of the big 12, um, one of the guys that walked with Jesus, the, the person that had the, the revelation given to him by God that the Gentiles were to be called clean and not unclean. And uh, Barnabas, the nickname the son of encouragement, the person sent to Antioch when all these Gentiles started getting saved, how they could come to a place in their life where they started to not eat with Gentiles anymore. And how uh, essentially pressure, religious pressure from men that came from James and doctrines and things like that caused them to retreat. And how we don't want to do that. How we want to be those that uh, are walking in the truth of God's word, which brought us to the kind of the doctrinal side, which we did last week of the second part of uh, chapter 2. Because if you remember, Paul here is, in the first couple chapters, is establishing his authority as an apostle, right? And uh, in that kind of crescendo of his authority, he points out that he himself uh, opposed Peter to the face, as it says, that he had to talk to Peter about some stuff that was going on there. But it also covers a huge piece of doctrine for us as Christians, and that is what is the relationship of the Christian to the law? And that's really what we hit hard last week, and we looked at uh, Romans chapter 7, you know, quoted uh, Romans chapter 4, Romans chapter 5, uh, this whole idea that is, is spread throughout Romans, that where there is no law, there's no imputation of sin. Remember that? Where there's no law established, there is no place for God or any person, really, in any law, to impute or deposit into our account our sin. So, judiciously, the case that Paul is making is that when we believed in, in Christ, when we trusted Christ for salvation... It says that just as he was crucified and his blood paid for our sin, God accounts us as having died with him, right? That's what all that chapter 7 was completely about, is the fact that we died to the law. So the law no longer has jurisdiction over us anymore. And because of that, there's no imputed sin to the Christian anymore. Now, we know that sin has a, a, is still a big problem. It's still very destructive. But it doesn't become a salvation issue anymore. It becomes a fellowship issue. And so in this second part that, <coughs> excuse me, that Paul talked about in the end of 2 is basically if we're not living by law, if we're not trying to fulfill a law or be righteous through the law, then how do we live? If our righteousness is through Christ, then how does this new life begin? And in chapter 2 and verse 19, just to reiterate by uh, review, he says there in verse 19, for, the, for, though, excuse me, for through the law I died to the law, so that I might live for God. So again, this idea, he, in order to live in a way that God wants us to live, in relationship, in consideration, in peace, in joy, there had to be death to the law. If we were constantly under the law, that's not life. It's not an expression of life. It's not how life is found. Remember, Romans chapter 7, the law brings wrath. That's all it can bring. Uh, it's never been there to bring righteousness. So he says, I died to the law so that I could live for God. Then from there he says, I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live. So my old nature, who I am, what I inherited from Adam, both spiritually and seminally, 
that is dead. That's not who I am anymore, right? He says that I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. And the life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. So our relationship with God as saved individuals, remember, is, is no longer, it's not, it's not that we're trying to fulfill the law so that God will accept us. Our, our complete and eternal acceptance came in Christ through the, three, the free gift of salvation. It's not that we're trying to make him love us more, accept us more, or any such thing it, it, by, by being involved with him or anything like that, but that now we live by faith. Right? So it's no longer don't, 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 or do, do, do. Now it's being led and filled with the Holy Spirit and walking in that way. What's our faith in? Well, our faith is in what Jesus did, first and foremost, right? But it's, it's also in what he said about he did. And what, through Paul and the other apostles and himself when he spoke in the Gospels, the forgiveness, the peace, right? The, the hope of heaven, the hope of him working, the hope of the Spirit, right? That all those things came through Christ and Christ alone. So now when I, the, the new me, the new creation in Christ that, I, that I, uh, I get to experience and walk in daily, now I walk in that by faith in Christ. And, and so it's no longer trying to adhere to rules. Now I'm just in a relationship, a friendship. He, think of all the relationships that, that God uses to explain his relationship with us. A father and a son, right? John 1 says that we've been given, been given the right to be called the children of God, through paraphrasing, through the gospel. We're, we're, he's like a, a good father to us. We have the relationship of, with Jesus and the church of a husband and a wife. right? So all these relationships that are used in the Scripture to describe our new walk with God, if we could phrase it that way, they're all relationships of the, that are of the utmost intimacy, right? The, the sharing and caring and these type of things. So he, he, it's interesting. Even when Jesus tells the apostles uh, how to pray, they say, hey, can you teach us how to pray? He starts off with, you, this is how you pray. Our Father. You know, if, if it was up to us religious folks, the prayer would start off like, most holy Father, from your degenerate, disgusting follower, Please, God, don't do anything bad to me. Right? Religion, that's what we teach. But a scriptural salvation teaches when we pray, we're not, we're not groveling before God. We're not, we're not um, like some sort of disgusting outcast from God. We come to Him with, as Father. And we, get to, we interact, that's how we interact with Him. And then it goes on, you know, we get to ask for our needs, all these different things. So Paul here is saying, like, we're going away from, right? We've moved away from the law as, as a source of righteousness. Well, the law was never a source of righteousness, and that's what Philippi, or Galatians 3 is all about. And now we're walking in this relationship. And so he says, he goes on and finishes the thought, the thought there in verse 21. He says, I do not set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness could be gained through the law, Christ died for nothing. In other words, if, if I were to ever say that I have gained a right relationship, remember we defined those words, justification, justified, sanctified, and so forth, last week. If I were, I could never come to a place in my life where say, God is right with me, I've diverted his wrath, and I'm now receiving his spirit because I obeyed laws. I did good. I avoided bad, and I did good. It, it, it can't happen. That's not true of human beings. So that was really what we kind of covered last week, much more in depth on the kind of the, the doctrine or how this event took place in our life of uh, us, being, uh, us dying to the law, no longer under its jurisdiction. 
So in Galatians chapter 3, where we pick up this morning, this is also, it's a, it's a little bit of a diff, difficult passage in that there's one major uh, theme that's going here through the whole chapter 3, and the theme is essentially, uh, Paul's going to give examples of why the law didn't uh, essentially undo the promise that God gave to Abraham, and he's going to give examples of how the, essentially the relationship of the law to us through uh, a few Old Testament uh, verses. So next week, I plan on covering more of that doctrine, kind of like we did last week. But this week, I really want to focus on this first portion where Paul asks some tremendous questions of the Galatians uh, in light of their, what they experienced, in light of what they knew, in light of the truth that they'd been exposed to. So if you don't mind, in Galatians chapter 3 and verse 1, where we pick up for today... He says this, You foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you before your very eyes, uh, Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed as crucified. I would like to learn just one thing from you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by believing what you heard? Are you so foolish after beginning by means of the Spirit? Are you now trying to finish by means of the flesh? Have you experienced so much in vain, if it really was in vain? So again I ask, does God give you his spirit and work miracles among you by the works of the law or by your believing what you heard? So also Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. Understand then that those who have faith are children of Abraham. Scripture foresaw that God would justify the Gentiles by faith. And announced, uh, excuse me, and announced the gospel in advance to Abraham. All nations will be blessed through you. So also those who rely on faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. We'll stop there. So these questions, these five questions that Paul asks, they're quite tremendous. And really the idea, it comes down to this. Can we finish in the faith? The word finish means to accomplish or to be done. Can we really accomplish and, and finish our race, however we'd like to phrase it, walk with God, get to heaven? However, can we really do it by just doing law, just doing what the law says? And it's a rhetorical question, right? Because the answer is no, that no person receives, you know, gets to heaven that way, that no person is saved that way, no person is justified that way. So the first thing he says, you foolish Galatians, and it literally means you people of low intellect. <laughs> Most likely, uh, from the, the bit of reading that I did, most likely the idea here is more, he's not saying you guys in Galatia are idiots. He's, he's more saying like you are walking in a way that it's, you're, unref, you're not reflecting, you're not considering. Like for example, in Ephesians chapter 5, he says that we ought to walk circumspectly, literally looking in all directions, right? That we should be considering the things that are around us. Like when you come to a decision or something like that in life, you, you don't want to just hyper-focus on one aspect of that decision, right? You need to look at everything that's going down, consider everything that's around it. If it's an important decision, I mean, if it's not, then obviously you can shoot from the hip. But anytime you're trying to do something of value, you look at a lot of different things, right? And you, you weigh out these different things. So what he's pointing to the Galatians, he tells us exactly why. He says, he says, before your very eyes, Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed as crucified. So he's challenging the Galatians because he's saying to them, when I was there, or you know, when, when he preached to them and, and others, when they preached to you, it was as if you really saw him crucified. In other words, you had a full understanding of what Jesus did for you. You had a full understanding of what his blood meant for you. 
You had a full understanding of the freedom that you received in Christ. So he, he asked them, and he says to them, who has bewitched you? So first he says, you're not really thinking about everything that you've been taught. You're not thinking about the truth that you have. You're not thinking about how Christ was uh, uh, portrayed in front of you, how you saw, how you understood what Jesus did. He said, you're not thinking about that. Instead, when he says, who has bewitched you, it literally is the idea, who has cast a spell upon you? Not that Paul is saying like, that there was like a voodoo bad demon guy that came along and you know, kind of hocus pocus and then they all of a sudden stopped believing. That's not at all. But the idea is that who spoke these words and seduced you? Who, who placed these words on you? Who, who, who was able to bring you away from this? So he's challenging them and saying, look, the things that you knew, you turned away from them. You didn't think through, clearly through them. Not only that, but remember, remember, what are they receiving? They're receiving essentially input from Judaizers, people that came along after Paul to most of the churches and a lot of the, the church planters of that time and came along and they had the Jesus plus gospel. In this case, one of the major things that they're talking about is Jesus plus circumcision, or Jesus plus the Sabbath, or Jesus plus the dietary laws. So in this case, you know, our Jesus plus is different, and we've talked about that. Our Jesus plus that we see today is Jesus plus uh, baptism, right? You know, baptism is that link of obedience, and, and so therefore, if you're saved, you get baptized, and that's like kind of seals the deal, solidifies it. Uh, you have... Um, People that will say it's Jesus plus speaking in tongues. And the idea there is that it's Jesus plus if you get saved, then this is the definitive means by which we can all know it is if you speak in tongues. Um, and then we have Jesus plus the 1611 King James Bible. That if you're, if you're a serious Christian, um, then you, you only use the King James Bible because it's somehow the best translation. And usually based on like a two-page pamphlet. But you know, it's, it's all these... All these ideas that it's always Jesus plus, right? It's Jesus plus. You need this to be saved. Uh, Jesus plus the day that you worship on. Jesus plus, all these things, right? And so Paul here is saying, when I was there, you saw Christ crucified. Not literally, probably. But you saw what it meant. You understood it. You embraced it. But now you're foolishly turning from it. Now the word foolish... It's important. It's not a fool is not somebody who is ignorant, right? It's not someone who, who doesn't know what's right. A fool is someone who knows what's right and does it anyway. Uh, it's kind of like foolishness versus wisdom. This is how this, typically this is the example I use. So when you go and you go get pizza somewhere, right, and the pizza comes to your table, not when you get it delivered, but when it comes to your table, and you open the lid and it's all steamy, like you know that under all that luscious cheese and meats and whatnot, or vegetarian, you know, you know, lies molten lava, right? You know it. You've ordered pizza so many times in your life, or you've been to a friend's house or whatever, you know what lurks under that steamy, tasty cheese. And so then even when you pull the slice off, it's like strings for like two feet. And then like some of you, it gets dripped on and you're like, ha, ah! you know, but you put it on your plate. And then comes, are you going to be foolish or are you going to be wise? Because the foolish person just grabs it and tries to take a bite. Right? And what happens? You, the top of your mouth, it's like, yes, this was molten lava. I have proved what I already knew. Right? That's foolishness. The wise person says, I'm going to wait a few minutes. Or a free James Aiken tip just pokes it a bunch of times with a fork, lets the steam out. You eat it faster. Clearly, I know what I'm talking about here. Don't, don't neglect that. So it's, right? So that's, 
But the, 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 the wise person does not do what they know will harm them. Right? They say, no, it's a bad plan. The foolish person just goes ahead and says, this time it'll be different. This time it'll work. Right? This time I won't get hurt in the end. So what he's, what, he, what he's making here, he's making this point, he's saying, look, you are foolish to accept these false teachings. Then from there, he's going to go on, and he's going to ask them questions. And just as a side note, whenever you're trying to, if you want to involve yourself or, or help other people, one of the best things you can do is ask them questions. And then this, this is a whole side note application. It doesn't necessarily have to do with this. Because helping people oftentimes is just helping them see what's real, Right? And if you just come in, I don't know if you experienced this, somebody just comes into your life, even if you're wrong, and they're just like, you're doing this and this and this wrong. Is it our, in our nature to be like, well, thank you. Thank you. Let me just write all of that down. I appreciate what you're doing. right? No, not usually, right? And a lot of times we'll even reject the, the truth. It might even be true. We might even know it's true. That's how jacked we are. We might even know it's true. And we're still like, nah, I'm good. But the, asking questions is huge. Why do you think that happened? Why, what made you want to do that? What makes you think that way? Some people can have some, all of us, all of us have crazy thoughts sometimes. And sometimes when someone just comes along and says, well, what made you think that? How did you come to that conclusion? It's incredible how it can help us to go, well, uh, oh, good point, right? So he just, he's just asking them questions. That's all he's doing now. He's, he's laid out these truths, as now he's going to ask them about their experience and different things about how they, can relate, how they can relate to that truth. So he says there, in verse 2, he says, I would like to learn just one thing from you. You're like, mm, well, you asked five questions, so I don't know. He says, I would like to portray, excuse me, I would like to learn one thing from you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by, the hurry, the, by believing what you heard? So the first thing he asks them, he says, when you receive God's Spirit, and we'll talk about that in a second, he says, when that occurred in your life, did you receive God's Spirit because you did, you were faithful to the works of the law? Did circumcision, did uh, uh, the dietary laws, in their case, did the dietary laws, did the Sabbath, keeping the Sabbath, you know, all the different, you know, 600 and whatever, 17, 19, I can never remember how many they are, uh, uh, Levitical tenets, or uh, the Ten Commandments, did you, did you receive the Spirit of God because you didn't covet someone's wife this week? Did you receive the Spirit of God because you didn't murder someone this week? You know, is, is that how you receive the Spirit? It's a rhetorical question, right? The, the answer is no. right? Because if, if that's how we receive the Spirit, we, would already, we, we wouldn't need Christ. right? That's what he said. If, if the law makes a person righteous, then Christ died in vain. So he's making this rhetorical question, how did God do this work in your life? Now, for some of us, you know, we, we come from different backgrounds. What does he mean to receive the Spirit? We don't have a lot of time to go through this, but it's important to understand that the Holy Spirit, and the word Spirit in the New Testament almost always is uh, the, the Greek word pneuma, right? So you've heard of like pneumatic tools, you know, air-powered tools, or pneuma like pneumonia, Right? And so it's the idea of, of breath or wind. That's, that's kind of the idea of, of spirit. So when it talks about the Holy Spirit or God's Spirit, it's the idea of the essence and the moving of who God is. Right? And so the, the Bible tells us that when we got saved, a few things happened. Number one, in Ephesians chapter 1, when we got saved, meaning if there was a time in your life where you asked Jesus Christ for the forgiveness, when you prayed and said, Lord, 
I need the forgiveness that you purchased for me. I need that free gift of forgiveness of my sin that Christ purchased. That's what I need. I need that from you. If you've done that, then what happened is, Ephesians 1 tells us, you were sealed by the Holy Spirit. Now, it doesn't mean like sealed like, you know, he got like a Ziploc and like stuck you in there. And it's, it's, it's the idea of this. Like any good movie, there's going to be usually warriors, wizards, and a signet ring. Right? And they drip the wax on the envelope, right? And then they press it down and they put, that's what it is. That's the sealing. It's, it's the idea of a signet ring. So when you got saved, the Holy Spirit... And I guess in some ways it is a metaphor, but the metaphor paints a reality for us, right? That you were, his signet ring went on to you. You were wax sealed by the Spirit. You're yours. You're, no, you're his. <laughs> we got away from being ours. You're his, right? You are his child. In fact, John 1 says you've been given the right to be called a child of God. Think about that. That seems presumptuous, doesn't it? That, that, that you and I could say, no, no, no. Because of what Jesus did, I have the right to call myself a daughter or a son of God. I have that right. Like It feels indecent to say it out loud. But that's what the scripture says. Because it's, not a, it's nothing of ourselves, right? It's not the law. We weren't obedient enough. We didn't try hard enough. We didn't you know, get A's in spirit class enough. It was none of that. It was just simply the fact that we believed what we heard, that someone told us of our great need. It resonated in our hearts and in our minds. And we said, I am messed up. I do need forgiveness. I do need power in my life. So in that moment, God said, you're mine then. You're one of my children. And now you can, you can have that right, the right of a child. Think about that. Children come into your bedroom at night. Right? Children, unfortunately, walk in on you in the bathroom sometimes. Right? Children, they, 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 feel, no, they, they feel no shame to say, I'm hungry. Right? And you don't look at them and go, well, then get yourself something to eat when they're little. I do that now because mine are 16. But, you know, it's like, you know, you know, when they're little and they say, hey, I'm hungry. You don't go, well, that's your problem. Right? Because you have responsibility and you love them. And, 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 and as, you know, in moments when we're decent parents, you want to bless them. Right? You, you, you enjoy it. So think about it. He says, you have the right to be my child. You have the right to come to me and say, I'm hungry. Not in pompousness, not in demanding, but to say, I need help. In fact, he expands on that so much that in Hebrews, we're told that we have the right to come to his throne. That we have the right to come into his throne, the throne of grace, to receive grace and mercy in time of need. Isn't that wild? When do you need grace and mercy? When you screwed up, right? Let's say something wild happened. And I did a house project at my house, right? It's just something that probably would never happen. But, you know, I'd, let's just say I did it, right? Because I, I got a C in wood shop. I'm, like, super unmanly. And so, yeah, I, 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 I lament that part of my life, kind of. But uh, let's just say I tried to, I don't know, put a window in or something like that. So let's say I put this window in. If I did it right, like a professional, and I did the wrapping all, and it was all fancy, and I brought Tam into the room, and I said, look at my window. It's, it's perfect. Have mercy on me. It's perfect. I wouldn't do that, right? No. It would be like if I really did it, and it was all crooked, and there was like already water coming through it, and I'd be like, have mercy on me. I tried my best, right? 
That's when you ask for mercy. You ask for mercy when you need it. I think it's noteworthy that God says, you can come to my throne of grace. First of all, to the Christian, he calls it a throne of grace. Favor, right? That's what, it's favor. I favor you as my child, just like we favor our own children, right? Our children can be like writing on the walls, and we're like, they're wonderful. Somebody else's kids makes a peep during service, and we're like, what is their problem, <laughs> right? <laughs> he favors us like we favor our own kids, above all. It's crazy. And he says, you know what? When you need mercy, when you need my favor, you have the right to come into my throne and ask for it. It's wild how good God is. It's incredible. And so he says, not, not only that, not only are we sealed by the Holy Spirit, but we're told that we, we receive the Spirit, that the Spirit somehow bonded with our soul. I don't know how that works. But he, he bonded, with, he became, in a sense, we became unified with the Holy Spirit. And he, he speaks to us. He encourages us. He strengthens us. He, he helps us in, in time of need. All the different things, all the ministry, that we don't have time to go over, all the ministries of the Holy Spirit. And Paul says, let me ask you something. Did you get all that from God? All that he has for you really comes through the Holy Spirit on earth. And he says, did you get all that because you were good enough? Because you did enough to get it. And of course the answer is no. Can you imagine what our lives would be like if we had to be good enough for God to be good to us, we'd have trash lives. We deserve it, but we'd have trash lives. He's just good. So then he asks another question here. He says in verse uh, 3, he secondly says, are you so foolish? So he's asking again, do you, have you really come to this place where you haven't thought about this? Are you so foolish after beginning by means of the Spirit, are you now trying to finish by means of the flesh? So the second question, or the, this next question that he asks, well, I guess it would be, are you so foolish? But then after that, he says, look, after beginning by means of the Spirit, so by being made spiritually alive, by being made right before God through the power of the Spirit, through what Jesus Christ did at Calvary, and being administered to our, our souls, our lives, he says, do you really think that you can begin, get saved, know God, all the things that happen, that you could start that way, but then someone comes along now and says, no, and you need to be circumcised. Oh, nope, and you need to use this Bible. Oh, and you need to do this. He says, do you really think that you can finish now in the flesh? That, that once you got saved, that now you can just try hard, obey the law, and that you can continue to be right with God based on your own effort. That's what he's asking. And again, the question is no. And that's why, I, in my opinion, it's why yes. Are you this foolish? Or do you, is this really where you've gotten to? Have you really forgotten so much? Are you really letting go of so much of what you learned about Christ and his crucifixion that you're, you're, you've come to a place where you're, 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 you're wanting to say, I have gotten my own righteousness. Now I sustain my righteousness. And I do it through obeying the law. I do it through being a good person, however we'd like to phrase that. So again, the, the question or the answer is obviously, like, no, that's, <laughs> right? No, we, we haven't done that. That's, that's not how it works. We can't do that. In fact, uh, in, in Romans chapter 12, we're told very clearly that we grow, 
right? That we grow, that we, we become, uh, whether you want to say closer to Christ or sanctified, being more set aside for Christ. We, our, our soul is changed and our thought processes are changed. And that all happens in Romans 12. He says, by having our minds renewed. Right? That our minds are renewed. He says, don't be conformed right, into the image of this world. The idea there's like a mold. Don't be molded into what this world wants you to be. Instead, he says, be transformed by the renewing of our minds. And so how do we get renewed? How does our mind get renewed? Is it we come from abstinence in the sense of making sure we do and don't? Does that renew anyone's mind? Have you ever been renewed by just making sure you don't sin? Have you ever f brought yourself closer to God by just making sure you try hard enough? That hasn't been my experience. It hasn't been the experience of anybody I know. In other words... He, we move closer to God, and there's things that we can do to do it, to, to be closer to God, but it's not by this personal effort. It's not by this us being good enough to receive it. It's just like, things like this. Like you came to church today, right? I don't know why you came to church today, but you came to church today. Maybe you came to church today because your parents forced you to. Maybe you came to church today because you feel guilty. Maybe you came to church today because you want to be here. And, but we're all in different places. I'm not, there's no even condemnation. If you're here because you felt guilty, there's no condemnation for that. But the reality is hopefully you came here. And, and, and by coming here, you didn't earn the right to have friends, right? It wasn't like you walked in and someone said, well, you came here, so now I will be your friend. Because, you know, if you hadn't come here, I wouldn't be your friend because you'd be bad. <laughs> it's because you came here and you're just here, right? You're just here. So by, just by being here, you got to sing songs, to the Lord, right? That, that's what you got just by being here. And then just by being here, you got to hopefully hear a decent word, right? Just by being here. You, you didn't earn it. You just made yourself available for it. So as the Spirit works and moves in our gathering, as you guys talk together afterwards, as we talk about the Word of God, as you sing to the Lord and consider Him, as we have communion and these different things, right? All these things. We didn't earn any of this. We didn't, we didn't make ourselves this. We just, we just came here. And now God gives us these things because we just showed up to receive it. So these are important concepts that, that Paul's talking about, that we're transformed, all these things, by being available to listen to and to receive what God is wanting to say to us in a, in, in a bunch of different venues, right? So we're transformed by the renewing of our mind. We don't get to finish. We're not going to finish in the strength of our flesh and by just trying to be different. Trying to be different... If I can just go on a little mini rant here for a second. I just want to encourage you guys. It's super cool if you have friends that you talk to and pray with. That's super cool. Be careful with accountability groups. Just be careful with that. Because the idea that I will change because I have to confess my sin to another human being is not always healthy. Typically, it can lead to hiding from the group that you're part of. It can lead to tremendous amounts of shame. It can lead to someone having bizarre authority over you they were never meant to have. So if you have friends that pray with you and support you and walk through you with your sin, that's great. But when you have to have a vicar or a pope that you go to once a week to talk about how much porn you looked at or something like that, be careful with that. Be very careful with that. Because there's, there's one mediator between man and God, and it's Christ. And so I encourage you to have friends that are going to help you and, and pray with you, and you can talk about your sin as you leave it behind. But this whole extra layer where we have to go and hang our head at some meeting and talk about how terrible we are, 
not sure it's a, a huge biblical prescription. Just be careful with that. Anyway, the next verse. He says there in chapter 4, or, sorry, chapter 3, verse 4, Have you experienced so much in vain, if it really was in vain? Now this is interesting, because now he's drawing upon their experiences. And he says, has this been the experience of your life? Has he experienced it? He's talked about the Word. He's talked about the Holy Spirit. He's talked about these different uh, venues for our life and how, or avenues for our life and different ways that we receive input, different ways that God is working. But then he asks us, he says, what about your personal experience? Now, this can vary widely, uh, obviously, and we want to be careful. But the, the question is, based on how God has worked in your life, was it through law or was it through His Spirit? Right? And, and, and the questions that he's asked about, did you receive the Spirit through law? Uh, are you going to finish through the power, you know, the strength of your flesh, your old nature, through your willpower? And then he says, what's your experience been? And, you know, it's, my personal experience has always been that God is just good to me. He just is. I'm probably like a, like a C-minus person at best. And yet God's just always been good to me. And, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell a story. And you can't tell anyone. But uh, this, is, this kind of encapsulates, kind of on the, on the extreme side, but it, it encapsulates how good God's been to me in my life. When I got saved, I was about 16 years old when I received Christ. And I'm not going to go through my whole testimony or something like that, but when I got saved, I had a lot of essentially just anger. I just was, I just was just angry. I was angry at the world. I was angry at school. I was angry, just, just angry. And, and, and there's probably different reasons for that. And so in my, in my personal life, in my own Christian life, I've met folks that, you know, say, uh, one story always sticks out to me because I had this roommate, and he said, yeah, you know, I, uh, I, I, did, uh, I was doing pull-ups one day. That's the part I can't really relate with. But I was doing pull-ups one day. <laughs> no, I used to have to do pull-ups too. But the, uh, about 100, 100, 100 pounds ago. But we... Uh, he said, I was doing pull-ups one day, and my pull-up bar fell, and I landed on my rear end, and he, and he says, I just cursed as loud as I could. And I was like, oh, okay. And he says, and that was the last day I ever did it. I'm like, that's pretty cool for you. I have nothing to add to that. Because that's not been my experience. My experience has not been that I've had these huge, what we, I think we would kind of ref reference like deliverances in my life. Where like one time this thing happened and I just never had that particular sin again. It hasn't, hasn't been the experience of my life. The experience of my life is more like the kind of the Roman 7 time of, type of thing where uh, even when I do good, evil is present with me. <laughs> I feel a bit like Cain. Sin is waiting at the door, you know, to have its, have its part with you. But anyway, so that, that anger for me lasted into my early 20s. And it's, it's, I can still get riled, but it's significantly different than what it was. And I think just the way I look at things is significantly different than how I did. But, so before you know, I was in full-time ministry and I had a real job, I worked on cars for about 16 years. And I worked at Honda for about, uh, or a Honda shop for about nine years. And the way it worked, is it was kind of weird because I had two different shops. So we had kind of a main shop and then we had this shop on a different street that was really big and cheap rent and whatnot. And I worked at the shop at the, on the different street. And so I was by myself. All that to say, I was working by myself. 
and I was working on, I still remember the day. It was like, a, like an 89 Civic uh, hatchback, three-door. Hanum calls them three-doors. And I've, I've replaced the starter on those probably literally like hundreds of times in, in, the, in the years that I worked for Honda and did that kind of stuff. And because of that, I, I, I know exactly the tool that it would take to do it. I know the extensions that I need. I know the socket that I need. I know, uh, and I have my air ratchet, and I'm getting there to, to replace this, this uh, starter. And I started in on the job, put it on the rack, and started on the job, and, and I cannot get the lower bolt. Normally, it's a 20-minute job. I cannot get the lower bolt. I can't get it. it. I can't get my socket on there. I have like a, just a truckload of work that needs to get done that day. I don't have time to just have this. And, and this, is, this is where it gets a little rough. So I'm not, this is not an, an, a story of advocation. It's just a, a personal testimony of God's goodness. So I kind of reached this point of frustration where I yarded my uh, socket and you know, all, the whole ensemble that was attached to the airline. I yarded it out. And I un, uh, disattached, unattached it from the airline, and I just hucked it as hard as I could. And it hit the drywall about 15 feet in the air. Yeah, this, this is not good. Like, this is not advocate. I'm just saying this happened, OK? And then I don't know if you've kind of had that moment in your life where it just feels like everything is bad, and you kind of melt down a little bit. Well, that's what I did. It was pretty ugly. Again, not advocacy, just telling a story. And I just basically, <laughs> basically just like let out this like colossal roar. Like full on like, Aah! just, just also just every frustration in the world just kind of came out in that moment. And then the phone rang. And it was Jesus. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> then the phone... No. <laughs> that would have been good. I was like, what's the, where's the caller ID? But no, the, uh, so the phone rang, and, I, and, and I, you know, I answered Landis Automotive, and this lady goes, hey, we just heard a huge scream. <laughs> Is everybody okay? And I was like, nobody's hurt, but nobody's okay. You know? <laughs> and, uh, and so I'm, I'm standing in front of this car, and I'm, I'm looking at this hole like 15 feet up, and I'm like, okay, I'm going to have to explain that to my boss. And... Uh, and now, and, I'm, and, and now I have like, you know, $200 worth of tools are gone. And I need to finish this job. And so I go, I stop for a second. And I was like, Lord, can I please have my ratchet back? <laughs> and I walked over to, you know, below the hole that was way beyond. And I just kicked another hole <laughs> into the drywall. Because <laughs> I got to get my stuff back. So I kicked this hole out. And I get, I get the, the ratchet pack, and, I, and I, the ratchet part, and I, I get the extensions back. My socket's gone. And I'm like, oh, because alone it's like a $50 socket, and I need it to get this bolt out that I still have to do this job for. So I come back to my toolbox, and I just kind of put my ratchet down on this little side piece you know, that I have, and I kind of put my hands on the, the toolbox, and I was just like, oh, what am I going to do? This is now I've put two holes in the drywall, and I've got to get this job done. What's going to happen here? And I was just like, Lord, can I please have my socket back? <laughs> and, and I'm not a big fan of, of fantastic stories, but God is my witness. I turned around, and my socket was just sitting on the battery, on the, 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 the portion that, on the, the small portion, an impossible place that it would sit. It was just sitting there. 
And, well, I actually, at that point, I just went outside and wept because I was so humbled. Because that's been the experience of my life. I'm a loser. I'm a sinner. And God's never been anything but good to me. It's, it's always ever been. And so when we read these, these things, this is why they're so important, because we can get this idea. Everything is so meritorious in our society. Our raises, our jobs, our grades. That's fine. Everything's based on merit in this society. Except for our salvation, our sanctification, and our eternity. Except God's power working in our life. And it's an unfortunate thing that in some places, at some times, church has kind of been, and Jesus has kind of been billed as this thing, is if you work hard, he kind of makes up the slack, and then you get to heaven. And the reality is all you do is cry out and say, I need you, and he's right there. In any time, in any moment. To the, to, the, to the greatest of sinners, to the most unreasonable of sinners. There's nothing in, in, in that story, there, there's no reasonable in, the, in this in me. There, there's no part that deserves anything in me. There's no part that I actually like a child, like a man-child. And God was merciful to me. And, and, that's, and, and I don't have a hundred stories where miracles like that happen, but I do have a hundred stories where God's just been, miracle, just, been, just been kind to me. And I think you do too. When we stop for a moment and we think about it. He's just so good. He's just so kind. He's so loving. He's so patient. And so Paul, he's presenting these arguments. And it's not to be punitive. It's not to be angry. It's just like snap out of it. Snap out of this, this legalistic, God makes me try hard, and if I don't, he doesn't like me. Get out of that. Is there obedience? Of course there is. Chapter 4 and 5 and 6, they're going to be all about obedience. But not obedience so he accepts me. He already accepted me in Christ. It's obedience so that I can walk with him. So I don't have to experience crazy fits of rage that get phone calls from random people. So I don't have to alienate the people around me. So I don't have to try to make up things to my kids. So I don't have to try to make up things to my spouse. So I don't have to apologize at work. But I can be a witness at work. Not because I'm trying so hard to be a witness. But because I'm just walking with Jesus and experiencing the power of his spirit. Because he loves me. It's a whole different life, isn't it? Religion sucks, right? Jesus is awesome, and he's so good. So Paul's going to go on here. He's going to ask another question. He says, so again I ask, does God give you his spirit and work miracles among you by the works of the law or by, believing, or by your believing what you heard? And again, does God do things in our lives? You know, so one time someone said to me, they said to me, and this is going to sound terrible, just, I, I think I proved I'm kind of a loser, so I hope you don't take this next story out of context. Someone said to me a, a couple years ago, they said, James, why is, why is your church growing? It must be, it must be because you're so faithful. <laughs> I was like, dude... Oh, his gosh is good. Because he knows that if, if I had like some 10-person church, I'm such a baby, for like 10 years, I'd be like, yeah, I'm, I'm going to go back working on cars. Because <laughs> I'm a crybaby. All pastors are. <laughs> we are. God is just good. So he says, does God work miracles among you? Does he do great and incredible supernatural things in your life? Because of law, because you're good enough, 
No. He does it because he's got grace for you. And he does it because he wants to fill, fill you with his spirit and have a relationship with you. This is such a relief, isn't it? Isn't it great to know I, I, can, just, I can just relax? And then when God tells me what I need to do, I can do that. And when it seems hard and I bicker about it, I can repent from that. And say, you know what, Lord, that was, I was out of line. I really thought I was important there for a second. I'm sorry about that. Because whatever you have for me, I know it's going to be better than whatever I could get for myself. And I've proved that <laughs> time and time again. So then he says in verse 6, because Abraham, right, he lived a fairly miraculous life. So also Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. So we'll kinda, we're going to stop there, but we're going to talk about Abraham a little bit. Abraham is pre-law, right? So there, there's no written law that we know of during Abraham's day. Um, whatever God may have said or whatever, you know, we don't, there's a, lot, a big period of time where you know, after Adam and Eve are expelled from the garden and they begin to procreate and they have children and all this, we don't really know what people did and didn't know. We know that, there were, that Cain and Abel brought sacrifices, so evidently there was some sort of knowledge of, uh, that a sacrifice should be brought, and evidently there was knowledge about what kind of sacrifice should be brought, right? Whether it should be uh, animal or plant. So there's a lot that we don't, we don't know about those things. But we, what we know about Abraham is that he is uh, pretty rich already, and uh, God comes to him, and they're in Genesis 15, and gives him a promise and says, I'm going to bless all the nations of the earth through you, right? So there's not even a law that he can reference. Does that make sense? He's just, he's just out there. And, 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 and he says, okay. And God says, I'm going to bless you. And Abraham says, yes, okay. And God says, okay, because you believed me, Right? There was no like ascension to, I'm going to send a Savior. I mean, he does say that he gave him the gospel and that all the, the, the seed of the, uh, excuse me, all the world will be blessed through his seed. Uh, I don't know, I, I couldn't say one way or the other whether Abraham fully understood that. But the basic gist was, I'm going to bless you. And Abraham was like, I'm in. And God said, because you believed and accepted the fact that I'm just going to bless you, you're now right with me. Right? And so, so God says, Abe, what I want you to do is I want you to go to this other place. I want you to go away from Ur, and I want you to go over here. And Abe says, okay, I'm in. And he says, I don't want you to take any family, just take Sarah. And Abraham says, I'm in. And then he takes his dad, and he goes to Haran. Not where God told him to go. The other direction from where God told him to go. And it was actually uh, a major hub for kind of a, a moon god worship. And so he's there for 10 years. Just think about 10 years of your life. He's there for 10 years until his pops dies. And then he still takes his nephew and leaves. What's my point? God says, you're right with me. I'm going to do this awesome thing in your life. Abraham says, okay. And Abraham immediately disobeys God for 10 years. And then even after that, when he leaves Ur of the Chaldees, or I mean, when he leaves uh, uh, Haran, he still takes his nephew, which he's not supposed to do. And so he cruises around with his nephew until they get so rich together, they're like, oh, we can't keep hanging out because uh, our herdsmen are fighting. We just have so much stuff, we can't be near each other anymore. 
So it just goes on from there. Twice, Abraham sells Sarah, right? All you wives, think about that. Sells Sarah into the harem of a monarch, right? Twice. You would think the conversation after the first time would have stopped at the second. And honestly, you would hope that the faith of the first time would have stopped at the second. Because both times, he literally goes to Sarah and says, hey, you're really hot. And this, this pharaoh, or I can't remember the name of the other king, they're going to want you for their harem. And I don't want to die. So just tell them you're my sister, which was true. They're half-brother-sister, half sister, which I understand is a little faux pas in our, in our society. But so he says, just, just say you're my sister. So she does it. He ends up hooking up with, at Sarah's behest, hooking up with her maidservant, Hagar. Hagar's from Egypt. I can't say for sure that he got Hagar, or that they took Hagar on, but he did dip into Egypt when he wasn't supposed to. All that to say is, he's called the father of the faithful. If we looked at his life and did some math, you know, carry the selling, you know, the, the wife, would we really come to the equation and say, this guy's righteous? This guy is the father of everyone who's faithful ever. I would want this guy as my dad. Probably not, would we? But because he believed God, that's what made him right with God. His sin had a tremendous effect on a lot of people, didn't it? Yeah, we still see it today in the Middle East, don't we? So his sin has had a tremendous effect, but it didn't change his righteous status. And I think that sometimes that's where we struggle, especially as Americans, because we're just like, no way, he cannot be righteous. David, David's another great example. Samson, right? Samson's another great example. This guy's toying, you know, basically toying around with his Philistine wife that he told his pops, go get me that wife from the Philistines. He was never supposed to be married to a Philistine woman. That was against God's law. And he, and he says, and then he toys with her. She's clearly like a double agent. She's clearly like working for the Philistines. And like every night she's like, so how do you lose your strength? No reason asking for a friend. You know, it's like, how does this happen? Oh, if there are new ropes. Oh, if there's this. Oh, if it's that. And then finally he tells her, oh, if you shave my head. Samson is listed in Hebrews 11 as this huge man of faith. But he had a Nazarite vow. Where do you see Samson? You see him in a vineyard with a dead lion. I assume it's bones. But bees had made a hive, and he's getting the honey out of it. What are you supposed to do as a Nazarite? Never touch grapes. Don't drink wine. Don't touch dead things. And don't cut your hair. So it's... it's he, again, I'm not advocating for a life of compromise because in the end it costs him, doesn't it? He gets captured by the Philistines, they gouge out his eyes, and they just bring him out once in a while and make fun of him. And yet, his life, this is interesting, and I don't have an answer necessarily, he kills himself. Because the last time that he's standing there, he's tied between these two pillars of this great edifice, and he cries out to God, give me strength one more time, and he yards the pillars in. God gives him these supernatural strength. He, yard, he yards those in. The whole thing falls and crushes him and everybody else there. And the testimony is that he killed more Philistines in his death 
that he did in all his life. Again, I'm not advocating for suicide. I'm not, I'm not saying any of that. But what I'm saying is, God is crazy merciful. More merciful than we could ever imagine. So that shouldn't drive us to sin, right? None of us would look at the end of Samson and go, that's pretty solid. I think I'd like to end up like that. Right? My eyes, my eyes gouged out, being made fun of all the time, ultimately ending it. So sin cost him dearly, right? But he's still considered a person of faith. So for you and I, we have a whole course to run, right? We have a whole life to live. And, and God has great things for us to do in that life. And, and as we get into, you know, past chapter 3 and into 4, and all that, we're going to talk about how to live that life. But the, the encouragement today is this, that, that you and I, number one, we don't want to yield to legalism and never have some sort of thought like, I deserve something from God, or I've earned His righteousness, or something like that. But number two, to also to, to come back to a place where say, what is it that God has for me? What's the last thing that God told me to do? Did I do it? And if I didn't do it, maybe I need to ask myself, why didn't I do it? Typically, it's because there's some aversion in our heart where we go, it would hurt too much, or I don't, you know, whatever. We can make up all sorts of things. But the bottom line is when God invites us to be part of what he's doing by sharing his will with us as his child, it is literally the very best thing we could do, even if it hurts, right? Just like any good parent, when you, you, you're trying to teach your kid to ride a bike or you're trying to, you know, you, you, in a safe scenario, you let your kids struggle, right? You let them struggle with it. You let them try to figure it out yourself. If every time your kid's trying to put Legos together, you like run up and like, let me get that for you, right? Guess what? They're never going to build anything, are they? They're never going to figure out how it works. They're not going to experience it. They're going to walk through it. No, you let, no, obviously, if they're struggling with like running out on the freeway, then you run out and stop them. But with, with just life, a lot of times God lets us, we figure things out. When things get tough, we, we find out that he's faithful. When things get even more difficult, we find out he'll, he'll help us. Right? He'll strengthen us. He'll do these things in our lives. So don't give up. And if, if you're in a place in your life where you just feel like, I'm stuck. I'm stuck. I always think the same way. I always act out in this way. I'm always angry. I'm always proud. I'm always just lusting. I always just want more. I'm never content. That's a good place to start. Knowing your need is a great place to start. And if you feel stuck today, we'd be glad to pray with you and talk about things that we can do in our lives. Not that we merit God, but that we... Uh, essentially make ourselves available to receive the healing that he has for us and to be able to walk in a, in, a, in a healthy way and then be healthy for the people around us to help them too because God has great things for you. So next week we'll, we'll dive a little bit more. So we have communion here and it's, it's, it's a time, Jesus says, not to be somber, right? We're not bummed out. It's not, a, it's not a guilt and shame time. It's a sober time. It's an opportunity to think about what Jesus has done for us. In fact, he told us that, right? He said, I'm going to take this bread, and when you eat this bread, he goes, I want you to remember that my body was given for you. And again, not like a guilty, it's not like a, a manipulative, you know, bad parent that's like, just remember what I did for you. I don't know if you ever watched the Goldbergs or something, but anyways, it kind of reminds me of that. Don't, don't, you know, don't forget I gave birth to you. <laughs> you know, always trying to guilt you into stuff. It's not that. It's the encouragement side of it. It's the side of like Jesus. He said, remember, when he sits down with them, he says, I've been waiting. I, with desire, I have desired to eat this meal with you. I really 
want to hang out with you guys. It almost seems too good to be true. Sometimes we don't want to hang out with us. But the fact that, that Jesus literally says, I wanted to eat with you, and I wanted to give you this so that every time you eat this in, in the times to come, it's no longer about the Passover for them. It's so that you can remember that I took on flesh, that God came down and took on flesh and lived for you, gave my body for you, gave my life for you. That's how much he loves his creation and he wants his creation to be with him. And he says, when you drink the blood, he says, I want you to remember something. This is a new covenant. Now, we never really had a covenant before, right? We're, we're Gentiles, probably most of us. We don't, I, most of us didn't grow up with like, the, the old covenant and the Afi Coleman and doing all sorts of, you know, we didn't, we didn't grow up with that, most likely. But we still get to be part of this new covenant, which is righteousness through his blood. So he says, when you, when you drink this, we have juice, but when you drink this wine, he says, I want you to remember something. That there's a new covenant that's in my blood. It's so much better than the old covenant that was with the blood of bulls and goats. That it's through his blood that we're forgiven. And that's what he offers us. So I just want to encourage you. We're called to examine ourselves and consider ourselves. And if we're holding out on God, just to, to be like, hey, this is, this is where I'm at. Please forgive me for that. Again, not to be accepted, but to restore fellowship. And then come and, and take a moment to remember him as you eat the gluten-free matzah and the grape juice. The Lord loves you. Let's pray. Father, thanks for your word and the encouragement that uh, these people of faith in the past can give us. Thank you, Lord, for the truths of the gospel and what you purchased for us. Thank you, Lord, that you watch over us. Thank you, you have great things for us. Thank you for the, the, the bread and the cup that remind us of the great things you've done for us. And Lord, thanks for our just brothers and sisters in the Lord, uh, brethren of like precious faith and the opportunities to hang out together. Lord, we're, we're humbled by how good you are. And we praise you. We pray that you would just lead us this week by your spirit. We have opportunities to bless others, uh, whether it's with the gospel or a glass of cold water or whatever, and that your um, kingdom will be built both in our own hearts and uh, in others also. So thanks. We appreciate you in Jesus' name. Amen.